the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. I'm Richard Mead, editor of Lloyd's List. Times are tough across the industry right now, but there's a silver linings playbook for those prepared to look beyond the obvious and immediate crises in front of us and embrace a collaborative future with new eyes. I figured you could all use a little optimism right now. My guest this week, DMV GL's Chief Executive of Maritime, Knut Orbeck Nielsen, believes that we're heading into a renaissance for the maritime world, brimming with innovation and new ideas. Things that we've traditionally done for years simply will not hold up, he says. The tectonic shifts transforming the maritime world will spur international solutions, turbocharge digitalization, and force innovation that will revolutionize shipping. Knut makes a compelling case, I think, although his vision of a, a digitally enhanced industry is somewhat undermined by the poor quality of sound coming out of his headphones this week. So I apologize in advance for the audio. Uh, and promise that we are looking at ways to make improvements on how we do this podcast remotely over the coming weeks. A quick plug before we start, though. I know many of you have been listening to the recent Lloyd's List Ask the Analyst webinars that we've been trialling over the past few months. The latest edition is available to download uh, or listen live on demand via lloydslist.com. Um, it offers insights on the macro outlook, counterparty risk concerns, dry bulk, box and tanker trade lane updates, shifting market dynamics, and how the coronavirus pandemic is affecting the trading relationship between China and US. Compelling stuff, absolutely worth a listen. I mentioned this partly to encourage you all to give it a listen and take a look at the forecasting data that comes with it, uh, but also to ask you for some feedback. Uh, We like doing them, and I'm wondering whether it might be a more efficient channel to use this podcast as an outlet to answer your market questions. So my question to you is... If we did create a regular slot on the podcast where you could submit market questions to be answered by our industry experts or indeed expert guests, would that be of interest? Let me know what you think about that and indeed any other topics that you want us to cover on the podcast. I'm happy to take emails direct. Uh, You can find me at richard.mead, that's M-E-A-D-E, at informer.com. Or if you're on Twitter, you can find me via at Lloyd'sListed. Mark your emails, podcast feedback, please. For now, though, let's get on with the podcast and give you some reasons to be cheerful this week with DNVGL's Knut Orbeck Nielsen. Welcome to the Lloyd's List podcast, Knut Orbeck Nielsen from DNVGL, uh, a returning guest on the podcast. In fact, I think probably you have the honour of one of the uh, the most frequent podcast guests we have on Lloyd's List. Oh, so, so thank you very much. For I'm happy to be be here, and uh, it's always a pleasure to have this conversation with you, Richard. Well, happy is an is an apposite word at the moment because while the rest of the industry is considering the immediate doom and gloom of a uh, COVID-induced coma, and the global markets are dealing with the economic tsunami flowing through its every core. You are a happy man right now. You are probably the most optimistic person I've spoken to in a while. You are predicting a maritime renaissance. Um, give us some reasons to be cheerful, Knut. Why are you so optimistic at the moment? Well, there's, um, I mean, we need to shake off sort of the negativism of the pandemic for sure. And, uh, and I also appreciate that it's a lot of challenges uh, still to be resolved. So it's not that I don't um, realize 
and recognize the, the challenges. But I would say that, you know, I've been talking about these tectonic shifts um, uh, for quite a, a number of years now, and it's unpredictable markets, it's the complex regulation, it's the technology development, not least uh, the digital developments. And w what we've seen now during the pandemic and, and you know, and since uh, January, as uh, when it broke out in, in China, is that along the fault lines of these three tectonic shifts, there is a new approach to the way we are doing things. And um, we are in effect challenging the status quo of almost everything. And, uh, and that's why it sort of reminds me of this historical time uh, going back to when we all came out of the Middle Ages and we sort of rediscovered the ancient uh, science, ancient culture, ancient art, and really uh, opened up for a lot of innovative ideas, new ways of working, and really to make use of the knowledge to explore new pathways into the future. And, and that is what I really think that, you know, uh, this decade is going to be all about. It's going to be, you know, how can we really take on innovative new ways of doing the things that we have taken for granted for so many years in, in the maritime world and really make, uh, you know, a, a good and a better pathway into the future. And that's why I'm optimistic. I think there's so much opportunity there. So... The pitch for a maritime renaissance is clear. You, 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 the tectonic shift that you're talking about, fueled by a, a necessary innovation. We have a, a number of uh, fundamental changes we need to make uh, to this industry. We know that. We know the challenges that are ahead. But we also have to think practically. I, it's all very well looking to the mid to long term future and, and looking at the, the 2050 goal of decarbonisation, the uh, myriad possibilities of digitalization that lie ahead. And we know what is possible. But this is an industry that is currently on the verge of a cash flow crisis. Uh, all decisions are, are frankly on hold, not least because uh, money is tight, but also because Right now, there are no good decisions to be making in terms of decarbonisation. There's no mature technology. There's no uh, investment beyond the the testing, the piloting, the uh, the innovative stages of of getting to a decision making uh, down the line. So, how could you how do you square that that immediate um, you know, crisis almost with the sort of the the mid term optimism that you have uh, for for moving things on a little bit? Well, I think in naturally what you say that, you know, in the very short term, I think everyone, um, also including, you know, class societies, uh, have been very much preoccupied with just keeping, you know, core business running. And I think that has taken a lot of attention from everyone. And, uh, and the clarity that we're all uh, sort of uh, seeking coming out of the IMO discussions have been postponed due to the fact that, you know, the delegates cannot travel and it's very impractical to do, you know, a Teams or a Zoom uh, meeting with 174 different uh, nations participating. So I, I think in the, in the short term, there is naturally uh, a delay in the process that we were on and it, it's caused by the the COVID-19 situation. 
However, I, I do disagree with the fact that there are no practical solutions out there. And uh, you probably know uh, well, Richard, that I've been, you know, talking very warmly about gas as fuel for uh, quite a long time now. Uh, and um, the beauty of that is that there is an abundance of gas. Uh, the technology is proven. Uh, it is... Uh, say, a, a significant contribution to reducing the emissions, maybe in the range of 15 to 20 percent. So um, I would say that there is a lot of, uh, of things that can be done. And it, it's much better to start, you know, getting those um, uh, reductions in emissions now rather than wait another 15 or 30 years for for another fuel that might come along or, or might not. Uh, so that is uh, the practical solution that is already there. And uh, you could go over LNG if you are, say, a bit more um, sure about the trading routes, uh, etc. Or you could even go for LPG if, if you're more into tramp shipping. And both of these solutions will also give you some bridging technologies to what might come uh, further down the line. So I think there is solutions there. Then um, you rightfully point out, of course, that the industry is really not in, in the best condition financially and uh, and that's where i think the ics's uh, proposal on creating an r&d fund to move uh, you know the technology and the fuel uh, solution development forward is a really good idea i mean uh, is a relatively small uh, call it tax um, but as long as everyone is contributing, it doesn't distort a level playing field and, and accumulated, it will create uh, a lot of funds. And uh, for a fragmented industry like the, the maritime and the shipping industry, we are so dependent on doing uh, things in a collaborative way. It, we will not be able to resolve this uh, working individually or in, in small groups. So, uh, so having that R&D funding, I think, is a really important step in, in creating a collaborative platform where uh, we can jointly work on R&D, on innovation, not based on, on piloting and testing out. Uh, and that is uh, actually the only way forward, in my view. Mm. It was interesting, uh, in, in last week's podcast, one of our guests made the point that in terms of the availability of funding, we've, we've heard the, the, the figure of uh, $1.4 trillion required for the uh, uh, decarbonisation process in terms of R&D funding. It's a scary number, but the point being made was that actually there is an availability of that funding. It's the fact that the industry hasn't yet made the right business case in terms of the accessibility of that. You know, there are funds available. There are there is a willingness, I guess, on the on the part of uh, the wider world to industry to go out with a, with a clear business case. And to that point, I wonder you know, how much of this do you see within the gift of the shipping industry itself to be able to to do, and how much of this is much more dependent on the relationship with uh, the funds, with the banks, with the cargo interests, with class. Um, because it strikes me that all of these tectonic plates, uh, you know, the tectonic shifts that you are talking about, 
they are going to require more than shipping. Uh, this is not something that shipping alone can do. In fact, probably there's very little agency left within the shipping industry to do much more than uh, try and make its case. Hmm. Well, I think uh, naturally, if you if you want to really have, uh, say, a good uh, acceleration on this development, uh, a wider collaboration is uh, very sensible, as you point to. And I've argued that uh, it, it's really important to look to, to other industries. Aviation is naturally one area where there is a lot of interest in, in, in developing this. Uh, car manufacturing is another area where we've already gained a lot of insights and inspiration for electrification. Uh, so yes, the, the, there is, and, and we see some initiatives in, in different parts of the world where, where um, you know, across industries, uh, companies are coming together, as you say, with the charterers, with the uh, the shippers and and, uh, and and shipping companies and others. Um, so the main idea is really to have a wide collaboration. And I'm also very pleased to to see that academia is really taking an interest in you know developing better solutions for for uh, carbon uh, less carbon intense fuels for the maritime industry. I think we need that. And then uh, uh, lastly, I would say that. Uh, it, it, it is really important that we are not sitting around waiting for, uh, you know, others to present the solution, but that we are taking active part in developing this. It's only, you know, the, the maritime expertise from the shipping companies, the yards, uh, the operators, the managers, the manufacturers that can really, you know, put, uh, you know, adapt solutions and ideas from other industries and make it useful for, for the maritime industry. So I'm also very happy to see that, for instance, the EU is, uh, you know, putting uh, hopefully money available for the decarbonization journey and the, and the EU Green Deal should be, uh, you know, a good pathway to, to tap into also for the maritime industries. It does seem that the hydrogen is, is uh, the hydrogen story has been very much pitched by the uh, the European Commission's smart recovery, um, promising, I guess, in terms of uh, the shipping implications down the line. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. You know, I, at this stage, I think it's uh, it's very unwise to rule out any sort of uh, new fuel or, or new uh, new idea and. Uh, I think the challenge is really that we should start moving now and then we should find what we call, you know, uh, good bridging uh, technologies that could, you know, allow us to face in these better and, and, uh, and more uh, immature fuels at this stage uh, when they become more mature and more financially attractive. Uh, and that's again why I say that uh, gas has a has a lot of uh, future, uh, not only in the very short term, but I think for the next one or two vessel uh, generations. Talk to me a little bit about class specifically. We've obviously seen the the rise of remote surveys, that you know, almost this this digitalization of class that you know was there as a possibility, I think, before coronavirus, but really the way in which the industry has had to work around restrictions has really forced a number of people's hands in terms of accepting things and doing things differently. And that's played into uh, class's ability to, uh, to 
take drones and, and programs and, and systems that were in development and, and really test them in a way that you probably wouldn't have had the opportunity to do uh, otherwise. Do you think this is just a temporary blip, a workaround, or do you think fundamentally it has changed the pace of change and the acceptability of such ways of working? Oh, definitely the latter. I think it's really changed the pace. And and um, yeah, I would say it really has turbocharged the, the digital development in the maritime industry. Um, and it's not so much the technologies itself. I mean, the technologies were there also, uh, say, a year ago. But it's really the mentality that the pandemic has brought about, you know, that people have really been you know, very much going out of the normal way of, of working. They have been looking at, you know, alternatives to the existing methods. Uh, so the mentality to, you know, look at things with a fresh eye is uh, so much more there now. And that's also why I say it's a fantastic opportunity now for a maritime renaissance because uh, the technology, <coughs> excuse me, the technology is there, but uh, the mentality and the you know the the the, the, the sentiment of, of people working in this industry has really changed a lot, and and the combination of these two factors, you know, technology and the the sentiment, is really giving uh, digitalization a turbocharge. Then I, I get you know often asked whether this is something that will, like you you asked now, whether this will return back to you know the old ways of working. And I think not. I think this is uh, uh, the floodgates are open. It's, it's going to be very difficult to to go back to the way things were before. And why should we? And uh, now, now it's more a question of finding, you know, what is the right balance of attending surveys in the, in the in the context of classification and remote surveys. I mean, after all, the purpose of a classification society is not to do remote surveys; it's to safeguard life, property, and the environment, and make sure that seafarers get uh, home uh, when when the uh, shift is done. And the vessels get safely to port. And that is the purpose. So it's to find that sweet spot between, you know, adapting, using new technologies and being uh, uh, present uh, on board at the right uh, time to sort of grasp what is the context, what is the sentiment on board, what is the things that you wouldn't get from a sensor or from a, a live stream camera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, maybe the pendulum is, um, is still a little bit in movement and it's going from attending surveys towards uh, you know, the remote service, and it will find its equilibrium. Um, and, and that should be an equilibrium dictated by safety, not by how much can possibly be done remotely. I accept the point that, you know, the uh, the central tenet of class, uh, you know, looking after the safety of uh, and, and the risk management, I guess, of the industry is, is not necessarily going to change. But again, going back to your, your point about these tectonic shifts, that is going to fundamentally change the nature of class societies operations, not just in terms of the the digital aspect or indeed the nature of the ships that you will be classing, but it is going to change how you operate and the nature of your business, I guess. Do you think the class industry as it is, is, is set up for that? Do you think it's a question of class leading and the rest of the industry following? Um, you know, ha have your customers quite clocked the seismic shifts ahead? 
to varying degrees and uh, i would say uh, for the for the shipping uh, and the maritime community at large and also for the um, probably for the classification societies involved um just to give you a very simple uh, sort of um, example on how things are changing so um if if i were to go visiting university to try to attract graduates five years ago i would have been primarily looking for naval architects um, and, and the more traditional uh, you know disciplines um, these days i would be so much more interested also in data scientists in it uh, expertise etc so i think that goes to show that you know over time it's going to be a gradual shift in the competences of the class societies as well but it's not going to rule out the fact that you still need to have that uh, say specific detailed knowledge about ships ship systems and their operation and that is something that you get not at the universities but you get it you know combining your university degree your competence with the practical experience and i think uh, whoever whether you're in the say a, a ship owning company a ship manager or indeed in a classification society to have the right blend uh, of of these competencies and backgrounds is going to be a, a, a decisive factor going forward. And for sure, yes, it will change. We will work in different ways. And and um, but the overall objective for the class societies are still the same. And uh, if we lose track of, or, or lose sight of that, then um, it will be problematic for everyone. Mm. Um, finally, I mean, you, you started off describing the Renaissance. The, uh, the original Renaissance, of course, was famed for its advances in innovation, technology, science, engineering, navigation, and of course, music. Now, uh, mm -hmm. for those of you who spent many years attending DMVGL events, uh, you will already know that uh, Knut uh, has a terrible record collection, uh, which he <laughs> likes to get out on, on, on pretty much any occasion. So I'm almost certain that you will have a, 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 an album or a song of choice to describe the current uh direction of the industry what 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 uh what record are we on at the moment Knut? yeah thanks for for, for asking that <laughs> uh yeah so uh you know I, I would i would rather like to take the short-term outlook in answering that uh, question i think it, it would be wrong to not think about covid19 and the pandemic uh, in my Election. And you are right, you are absolutely right that my, my taste in music is so awful and, and, and my, my, my children say it's really old fashioned. So, uh, you know, my choice now is really Simon and Garfunkel. And I'm sure that a lot of the, the people listening to your podcast don't even know who those two chaps are. But anyway, um, Simon and Garfunkel and, uh, you know, uh, A Bridge of the Troubled Water is the one that I would uh, select for, for the current uh, challenges. Not, <laughs> and not I apologize to my children for, for coming up with some bad uh, bad. Uh, choices of, of, of tunes <laughs> <laughs> not at all not at all it wouldn't be an interview without it, it? <laughs> uh, for now uh, Knut Dorbeck Nielsen from DNVGL thank you very much for joining the Loiseless podcast once again thank you very much Richard it's always a pleasure to be on your podcast thank you